The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, if there's one phrase that really grabbed me there, was just the phrase that you made this wretch your treasure. I'm, yeah, Lord, so thankful for that, so thankful that, uh, for the work that you accomplished and uh, the amazing outpouring of your love and the transformation power in our lives. Lord, we celebrate that today. We celebrate you today. Thank you that we can do that. Be lifted up now, even as we break open your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. First of all, wow. I really got up this morning and I thought, okay, we're going back to virtual church. Uh, nobody will be here and uh, owe me a little faith. You guys braved it. Great. That's it. I also want to welcome those of you. I was thinking, I, gotta, I can start with a couple of 2020 positives, okay? Uh, one of them is the fact that uh, we are, if, if we were ever snowed in, I mean, we're, we're ready uh, just to have an online service, and you can curl up with a blanket at home and hot chocolate. Those of you that are here, bad idea. But those of you at home, have a good time uh, and do that. But uh, and, and I really just so much appreciate those who've worked on that. I start to list names, the worship team and the, and the sound team that, that put that together, but I am so thankful for the work that they do to make that a possibility. And uh, if you are not watching at home right now, I want to encourage you to do that later today. That doesn't make any sense at all, I realize. Uh, but, uh, but, but I'm thankful that we can do that. The other positive that I want to point out from 2020, are you ready? Now, this could be offensive, and I, I don't want to offend you. But I am thankful that buffets kind of took a hit. I'm sorry, I'm not a big buffet fan. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not. Uh, it has nothing to do with the cleanliness. I just don't like the food. <laughs> It's usually not all that great. Now, if you support a buffet or own a buffet, yours is the exception. Uh, your food is great. But uh, a lot of times like that. Now, I say that because we're going to do a little buffet-style sermon today. That's, actually, that sounds terrible. For a pastor to stand up and say, okay, here's the Word of God. You pick what you want and leave what you don't want. That's not a good way to start the service, okay? So that's not what we're going to do today. Normally, I would say this is not buffet style. It's the Word of God. We don't get to pick and choose what we want. However, as I was looking, we had, uh, we've been going, uh, doing a reading in the book of John or, or reading through the book of John as a church this month, and uh, you get to the end, and at the end of chapter 20, the last couple of verses, it really looks like the perfect wrap-up. And basically, John writes and he says, I wrote these things so that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many other things he did, uh, not contained in this book, but I mean, it's just like he's done. And then there's chapter 21. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what, and now again, this is speculation right now, but uh, what was John thinking? Uh, John and Peter, I think, had kind of a friendly little rivalry. Remember when John uh, threw in there that he beat Peter to the tomb? <laughs> uh, the other disciple beat him. Uh, I don't know why he had to throw that detail in there, but he wanted everybody to know that he outraced uh, Peter to the, to the tomb. But I think maybe, partly, again, speculating right now, going through John's mind was, you know, we didn't leave Peter with a very good light. Last we saw Peter, he was denying the Lord three times. 
But I want to, and I really should talk about the fact that he was restored. I really should talk talk about what what happened uh, after that, what happened there this morning that we're going to read about in John chapter 21. So uh, the reason I say it's a buffet-style sermon, though, is as I read through 21, there are so many sermons in there. There are so many different ideas. It's like, wow, that's good. And that's, I mean, it was like too much. Uh, And I thought, I'm going to have to pick out. So as we go through, I'm going to highlight five different points that I saw. However, we're going to mention quite a few others. So I'm going to, it's too much. You, You can't do all this. You can't make an application from every point. So I would encourage you right now, just say, Lord, why'd you bring me here today? Which is the point? Now, I should mention this, though. Don't pick the first one so you can check out, because the last point is a really good one, too. Uh, but uh, just to say, hey, what are the things, what are the practical applications we can make to our lives this day as we look at John chapter 21? The picture here, and again, I'm not a gr- great fan of Jesus' pictures, but there he is uh, sitting, and he's enjoying breakfast with his friends, uh, with his disciples, or at least with some of them. And uh, we're going to go ahead and begin reading With verse number one, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. I'll mention up front, the Sea of Tiberias is also called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Tiberias, uh, the Roman emperor, apparently had a summer home there, and it got that name there too. But he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana uh, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were there together. And Simon Peter said to them, hold on just a second, let me, let me give you a first little mini-sermon that's not part of the sermon today. But uh, here's the disciples gathering together after Jesus is gone, okay? A group of men that you really wouldn't put together as a team, white collar, blue collar, but they have been united in Jesus Christ. And that is what the power of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ does, he breaks down barriers and he brings unity. He breaks down prejudice. He breaks down preferences or our desire to put those above people. So here they are still enjoying this bond. I I would say that one of the things that has been hardest for me to watch over the past year is to watch the division among God's people. Because what the power of the gospel and Jesus Christ's presence in our life will do is it will bring us uh, together, united behind him and his cause. But uh, verse number three, so Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat that, uh, uh, and that night they caught nothing. A couple of things again, you, you just notice kind of as a side here is Peter's leadership. He's going fishing. They're like, hey, we'll go too. Uh, that, that, that sounds like a good plan. Now, Peter has been criticized by some and perhaps correctly for the fact that uh, he is returning to his old life. Okay, he's going back, and some people think, oh, this is Peter shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have gone back. Others think, and I kind of lean this way, that uh, Peter was a man of action, and uh, he was going to aggressively wait for Jesus. Uh, I think that's what we're called to do, occupy right now until he comes. I mean, I think for many of us, we are longing even more for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot in our church family that have faced great difficulties lately or are facing them now. And it really does make you long for the fact that Jesus is coming back. But we are to, in the meantime, occupy until uh, he comes. We're, meantime, we're to stay busy. And I think that uh, Peter here is doing that. He's a man of action. Uh, that is what he is going to do. Just as day was breaking, 
Again, they've been out all night fishing, caught nothing. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, this is something we see often in Scripture that uh, he is not recognized. Jesus has not revealed himself to them yet. Uh, there's a verse in the Old Testament where Jacob said, uh, the Lord was here and I didn't know it. Okay, and, and so often we find ourselves, so you know, we have to ask the Lord to open our eyes. One of the songs that we sang this morning did that. You know, we're praying, God, open my eyes, open my heart, soften my heart, uh, let me see you. And hopefully that's where you are even this morning, where, you know, if you haven't yet to stop and pause and say, Lord, use this time in my life. You have me here for a reason. Uh, I want to see you. I want to see what, you, what you're teaching me here. Uh, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? <laughs> Now, Jesus knew the answer to that question. Anytime that Jesus asks a question, it is to help us see a truth about ourselves. Okay? When Jesus asks a question in Scripture, it's to help us see a truth. They needed to see that they had a little problem going on here, and so often we do too. So they answered him, no, and he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Okay, first point that I'm going to highlight, that, that this is like the fourth sermon we've hit already, but the four, uh, first point is that obedience is the key to fruitfulness. What is the difference between where they were casting and where they were casting now? It's about seven and a half feet. That's the average fishing boat then. So uh, I'm not a great fisherman, understatement of the year. I've caught two bluegill in my life. But uh, the, um, the, the whole idea that, you know, you can take it, the net from this side and this side and you have this dramatic difference doesn't really make any sense. What is the difference in here? Seven and a half feet? No, the difference really comes down to obedience. What they had done is they had obeyed the Lord, where previously they had not. By the way, I wanted to mention this. Remember, these are fishermen. These are experts, okay? And I just want you to catch a hold of this idea. Jesus knows more than the experts. Just hold on to that truth. Because sometimes, have you ever noticed that experts are occasionally wrong? Though i got to say, the weathermen were pretty close on this one. Uh, they, they were pretty good. But have you ever noticed that experts can often be wrong and they change their opinions on a lot of different things? If we remember that Jesus knows more than the experts. Okay, the expert fishermen, he said, no, nah, here's where the fish are. Let's go on this side. And they did what he said. They obeyed. And we need to remember that in carrying out his word, in carrying out the Great Commission, in sharing the gospel, obedience is the key to fruitfulness. Not Now, hard work is important. Hard work is uh, valuable. Uh, being competent, smart work, that's good. Uh, being creative and being a, adapting to our environment in ways, all those things are good, but I think sometimes those are the things we get wrapped up in. We get wrapped up in the method of everything that we're doing as far as church goes. In our world today, hey, here's the new strategy and here's everything we ought to do. The most important idea is obedience. And more important than the method of how we're sharing the gospel, it is going to be the message that we are sharing that we are to proclaim that he has told us to and that we will be obedient to him. Make good sense? Let's keep going. That disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? 
John, okay, that's the writer. He loves to call himself that. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, I like to call myself that too. Uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. They hadn't recognized him. Again, this is one of the reasons we think John maybe was even closest to him. But with his miracle, he says, it's the Lord. Now watch this. When Simon heard that, it was the Lord. Follow this. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, but they were not far from land. They were about 100 yards. Okay, now, I, I've been trying to understand that this week because first, okay, I understand he's working so he doesn't have his coat on. Uh, the King James says that he was naked, uh, but uh, perhaps he was had a little something on. We don't know. Maybe that was just a reference there. Uh, but uh, why would you put on your coat before you jump in the water? <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, it just doesn't seem, you, you don't see that scene. Somebody's going to dive overboard to re rescue somebody. Oh, wait, I got to put my coat on. I got to see as much extra weight as I have. Really, I tried to figure it out. I heard some different explanations. I'm still not sure. Uh, the, the, the most logical one I got was the idea that he didn't want to leave his coat behind. Uh, he actually wrapped it around himself in a way, not like he put it, put it on. Still extra weight. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. Or maybe he just was like, I'm naked. I think I'll put something on before I go see the Lord. I, I don't know exactly what it was. But, uh, but we do see him jump in like, I got to get to Jesus. Okay? This amazes me. Okay, he's 100 yards away. You know, the scripture says a short distance, 100 yards. That's a football field. Uh, and it's like, you know, why, does it, why is he like he can't wait uh, to get there? I actually did the uh, midweek momentum on that this week because this, this uh, grabs my attention so much just to realize that this guy that has been denying Jesus back in chapter 18 is now so anxious to see him. And I think we need to grab onto that. What we need to remember is this idea, what we see in this story is Galilean grace. Okay, I just, I just capture that idea. Think about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this man uh, has just been denying the Lord. I don't know about you, but my, when I hear that story, my self-righteousness comes out, and I think I would never do that. <laughs> I would never actually stand there and say, no, I don't know him. Now, of course, Peter made the same boast. And he was wrong. So maybe I'm wrong in my boast, quite possibly. But still, I think, can you believe what Peter did? He actually denied the Lord, and yet the Lord here is greeting uh, the relationship. By the way, we do know that Peter had already met with the Lord. The Scripture says that uh, Jesus had been seen of Peter and then of the twelve. So there was a private meeting in there somewhere. But now it's like, I can't wait to get to Jesus. I just love that. Because, listen, very important. We so often, when we do wrong, we're doing the exact opposite. We're hiding from God. Okay? So often when we sin, uh, even, and, and this, this is the incredible thing, even after we come and we'll repent and we'll, we'll ask the God's forgiveness, it's like we have a hard time understanding that forgiveness. Our forgiveness is so flawed, I think that's the reason why. My, when I forgive somebody, a lot of times in the back of my head, I forgive you, but you better not do it again. Okay, come on, husbands and wives, you ever been there? Yeah, okay, you're forgiven. Until <laughs> the next time you do it, and then we're bringing this up again. Uh, our forgiveness often is very flawed in the way that we forgive people. I will forgive you, but I still think you need to pay for it a little bit. In other words, I still need to treat you like dirt for a little while because you, get, you got that coming. Okay, I forgive you, but... Uh, so we forgive like that, and sometimes I think we 
we transfer that on to Jesus and think that's how he must forgive too. He must forgive kind of conditionally as far as that goes. So to really understand his forgiveness, look at this picture though. He can't wait to get to Jesus. What we do a lot of times is we're actually hiding from him. I messed up, you know, he doesn't want to hear from me. I, I failed him again. Now we're, we'll explore that idea a little bit more uh, as we get further into the story. And let's get a little further into the story. And they put on, uh, I'm sorry, and they got out on the lamb. They saw a charcoal fire in place where fish laid out on it. I'm sorry, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm envisioning the one disciple sitting there going, one, two, three. Uh, I don't know. They, they had exactly 153 of them. Some speculation as to why that number, but all of it seemed like a little bit of a stretch to me. So anyway, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and, so, and, and with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had, was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to just get you to think about the whole idea of breakfast with Jesus for a minute. Think how awesome that would be. I, I don't. I'm sure not everybody shares the same thing. My, I love breakfast when you could sit down. When we ever had a big family breakfast, it was because it was a day off, and and I was actually the cook. And I'm not. I don't. I'm not a cook otherwise. But breakfast, I was the cook. And you know, it's just a great morning because you're just moving at your own pace, and you got together and just spend some time sitting there having breakfast. I was also remembering actually this morning. Uh, I had a friend that I used to meet pretty much once a week for breakfast. Um, six years ago tomorrow, he passed away, and this morning reminded me so much of him because it was a Sunday morning. Uh, he was shoveling um, out his family to get him to church, and he had a heart attack. Uh, and he was my age, or the age I am right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was remembering and thinking about that, but I, I was remembering breakfast with Bob. I was just remembering breakfast with the family, how much he loved that. Just sit there and just enjoy the breakfast uh, like that. Think about what the disciples got to do here. Sit and have breakfast with Jesus. Okay, that's, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? And, and I read that, too. And uh, anyway, let, let's go ahead and look at the next point I wanted to bring out here. Ministry for Jesus should flow out of fellowship with Jesus. Jesus didn't need them to add their fish. Okay? But he said, hey, bring some of your fish in there, too. He didn't need that. And I think we need to remember that. Jesus doesn't, if you want to say it like this, he doesn't need us. Okay, he invites us. He wants us to join him. But we can't say, hey, Jesus needs you like he's not going to make it without you. He's going to make it fine without you. He's going to make it fine without me. It's not that he needs us, but he invites us in. He wants us to spend time with him. And I think it is so crucial that we remember just this idea as we think about having breakfast with Jesus you see, sometimes we get so busy about the kingdom work that we forget the king. It happens a lot. There's a young lady uh, my wife and I knew in early, early years of ministry. She was this hardest working person that I have ever known. She was worked in the children's ministry, and she was willing to work anytime anybody asked her, and she always did that. But, I, but she actually worked all the time. She never, barely ever, came into a, a meeting like this. You know, she was busy down the hallway working with kids all the time. 
and eventually I watched her burn out. And, and this is something that we have to watch. My daughter, is uh, she, her minor in college was children's ministry, and she's had a couple different jobs at churches where she's worked in children's ministry. So they joined a church a couple years ago in Fort Wayne. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, it's the church now in Indianapolis. They joined a church in Indianapolis just uh, last fall. And when they did, uh, she said, I can work in children's ministry. And they said, okay, we'll get you in there. Well, we met with her one time, and she said, the last three weeks I haven't been in church because they needed me in children's ministry. You know, it's like, hey, we have a willing worker. And sorry, Marissa, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm probably working against her there because it is hard to get children's ministers and stuff like that. But I do want to mention, if we get involved in the ministry and forget connection and spending time with Jesus, we're asking for trouble. Okay, that's why, you know, I've said before, I love a day when we can go to a second service here. Now you say, well, that'll afford more people. Yeah, that's great. But also, I would love folks who are uh, down the hallway now to be able to come to the next service and be part of this because I hate to see people consistently miss gathering together. And I really hate to see it. And it happens all the time. I was sharing with the teenagers last week. They say that like 15% of pastors in a survey said that they spend regular time in devotions with the Lord. 15% uh, is unbelievable because this is something that gets pushed aside. Me actually connecting with the Lord, me sitting and having breakfast. And I really want to encourage you. We've been going through this uh, devotion book of John, which ended today. Get a back, if, if, whether you join or not, get a plan for February. I want to, um, maybe it is, uh, hey, the book of Matthew has 28 chapters. February has 28 days. Maybe you want to make sure you read a chapter a day. Um, version. if you use that, if not, remember that version. look that up. They're going back through the book of John uh, during the month of February, and that might be real helpful. You know what I'm going to do? And this is not going to be all that deep, but here's what I'm going to do. As I read through John in January, I thought, man, I missed so much. <laughs> There's so much that I didn't really focus on. I'm going to do it again in February. Maybe, maybe that's something. But get something where we are having breakfast with Jesus. Okay, we're sitting with him, spending time with him. Let our ministry, let our lives, let our if you know, good works flow out of that. Because if we go first to all that work, a lot of t- uh, we are asking for burnout when we do that. Because we've forgotten that which is most important, we've become so busy about kingdom work sometimes that we have forgotten the king himself. Okay, now get to an interesting conversation between Peter and Jesus here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Okay, so I, I don't know exactly the these that he was talking about. He could have meant his tools of the trade, the fish. He could have meant uh, more than you love the other people there, all the other disciples. He could have meant, do you love me more than they do? I don't, I don't really know. Um, that wouldn't have been that strange a question because Peter had basically boasted before that he did. All the others are going to forsake you, but I won't. I'm not going to deny you. So it's possible that's what he was asking. Peter responds and says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let me go ahead to the next section here. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go, 
This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is an idea I want to take a few minutes and explore. The idea that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. You might remember in the past we talked about the fact that the Greek language is, I think we could call it more rich than English in a lot of ways. We have a word for love, okay? I love my wife. I love my dog. I love a good pizza. Uh, I love a nice snow to watch it come down. Now, hopefully, I don't mean the exact same thing by all four of those things. The pe- No, I'm just kidding. The pizza is not first there. Uh, but uh, the... Uh, you know, hopefully it's not the same. Now, in the Greek language, you have a bunch of different words that are used for love. There are two of them that are used in this passage. Jesus asked the question, do you love me? He used the word agape. That means uh, it is a divine love. It is an intense, all-in type love. Basically, do you love me 100%? Peter responded and said, Lord, you know I love you, but it's a different word. It's phileo. It's more a friendship love. It's a respect kind of love. So in other words, Jesus said, you love me 100%, and Peter said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm at 70. Good, strong 70%. I love you. And Jesus asked him again, do you love me? And he said, again, same answer. Well, I'm you're asking me about 100%. I'm coming in at about 70. The third time that it is asked, Jesus changes the word. He says, do you love me at 70%? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that. It grieved him a little bit that he had to come down to that level so they could match up there. But he said, you, you know everything, Lord, and you know that. God knows his heart exactly. Remember back, you, you might remember at the Last Supper where Peter is, is boasting, I will do this. I, you know, I will never deny you. God knew then. God knew exactly that, and God knows his heart. And he knew it better than Peter could ever know it. Well, Peter has finally come to realize that, that God knows him, and there is, that there is no sense um, arguing here. And he told him in, in the last couple of verses we looked at, he, he wasn't sugarcoating any, anything, but there was a couple promises in there. Uh, he told him he's going to someday be crucified. Okay, now the cool thing about that for Peter with this, he probably realized, hey, I used to say I was willing to die for you, and then I found out I wasn't, but now you're saying I will be. That's kind of cool. Peter must have realized that. The other thing that, uh, that is kind of a promise in there is he told him about his old age. <laughs> do you remember, we looked at the story when we were going through Acts, in Acts chapter 12, do you remember the story of Peter in jail, and he's sleeping in jail, chained to two guards? And we talked about how in the world could he sleep there. He was supposed to die the next day, and he's asleep. Okay, I can't sleep when I'm taking a trip the next day. Uh, You know, he's supposed to die the next day, and he's sound asleep. I think because he knew he wasn't going to die then. Jesus had told him, it's going to be in your old age. You You got some years left. That's what the promises of God do for us. They enable us to sleep a little better. Okay, that and that's what happens there. So Peter... Uh, you know, has these two promises that he's kind of ho- holding on to as he gets through this, but he's come to the realization that indeed Jesus knows me better than I know myself. Let, let's think about that idea for a second. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Okay? He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows what you're going to do wrong. He knows what you can do right for him and what you will. He knows all that, okay? Sometimes, you know, I get this idea, oh, 
I let him down again. I must have disappointed again, but I need to remember God knew exactly what he was getting when he died on the cross for me. God knew exactly what he was getting when he saved me. Okay, he knew all that. So, you know, it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, man, I, I'd have never, I, I'd have never bothered saving you if I knew you were going to act like this. That, that doesn't happen. He knows exactly what, what happens when we come and trust him. He, he, he gets all that. Isn't that kind of awesome just to think about? He knows me so much, so much better than even I know myself. And with that, what does he do with Peter then? Feed my sheep. Now, he could have easily said, hey, Peter, I still love you, but uh, I can't use you anymore. You messed up too much. That's not what he does. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. I'm going to entrust you with my sheep, my most precious. Uh, we sang about the wretch becomes a treasure. I'm going to trust you with my treasure here, Peter. I'm going to have you take care of him. Isn't that amazing that this guy that, again, a few chapters earlier, he's denying Jesus Christ, and, and now Jesus Christ says to him, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I'm going to trust you with that. Why? Because he knows us better than we knew ourselves, and he knew exactly. He knew Peter was going to deny him. Well, of course, he predicted it. Peter said, no, it's not going to happen. He knows us better. That, that, folks, it, this is one of those things, if you'll take one truth away from this, uh, that'd be a great thing just to hold on to. Remember that. There's so many different areas of our, in our lives where that shows up. And we realize just he knows. He knows what he was getting with me. He knew when he died on the cross for my sin. He knew when he uh, pricked my heart and, and said, hey, you need a Savior. And he knew when I cried out and said, Lord, I, I need a Savior. I, please, I trust you as my Savior. Uh, please forgive my sins. I, he knew. He knew everything that would go on in our lives. Watch it in the life of Peter here. Let's go a few more verses. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. There he is again. John's writing about himself. Uh, following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the Lord's Supper. That's John. John was one, remember, that talked about laying his head on, on Jesus. And he had said, Lord, who is it that's going to be betray you? Okay, I said, remember Peter back uh, at the Last Supper? Who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to the Lord, Lord, what about this man? Okay, let, let me, I read that kind of choppy. So he sees John. He said, Jesus had just said, feed my sheep. He'd ask him a question. And, uh, and Peter says, what about this guy? <laughs> what about him? What is going to happen to John? Uh, we need to talk about that too. Well, how does Jesus respond? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, great phrase right here. What is that to you? If I'm going to keep him alive until the second coming, what is that to you? Okay, I told you what's going to happen to you. Peter's like, and you, you might know the story from history too. Peter was crucified for the Lord. And you might remember it's a little different because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as you, or my Lord was, and he was crucified upside down. All of the other disciples uh, met with a martyr's death, actually, except for John. Now, John is not still alive today. There was a little misunderstanding from that. Uh, so the saying spread. There's that misunderstanding among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that they would not die. But if it is his will to remain till I come, he'll do that. Okay? Again, I'm sorry, I know, I, I seriously, I, I looked at this and I thought, man, should I, should I whittle this down just to one sermon? But if I did, it might have been this one right here because I just think if we would remember this phrase in our lives, it could make such a difference. 
What is that to you? Okay, if we could just remember to stop comparing ourselves to everybody else. Jesus said to him, I'll worry about him, you worry about you. But Peter, again, he's still Peter. He's changed, but still he's got the, you know, he is this ugly side of him, this comparison side comes back up here and he says, hey, what about him? Jesus says, get that phrase down, what is that to you? Think about how many times if we would just remember that. Those people, they spend money like crazy on blank. What is that to you? You know, I'm, uh, I, I've been trying to work and trying to plug in as far as church goes, and I don't think so-and-so is doing anything. What is that to you? Um, I, I went out of my way to, to be involved in this and, 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 to, and to do this, and they're not. What is that to you? They, you know what? They... Their family, they go here, and they do this. What is that to you? Okay, If we could just remember that phrase, basically, hear Jesus say, I'll take care of them. You take care of you. Wouldn't that be a freeing thing in our lives? Wouldn't that be a powerful thing in our lives if we could grab a hold of that? And like to, to be honest with you, that, that is a phrase I needed to be reminded of over and over again. Because I will, I, you know, I'll ride by another church sometime and think, oh, man, look at all the people there. <laughs> what is that to you? Um, I heard about a pastor who's, you know, took a sabbatical that was unbelievable. And he's like, what does that to you? What is that to you? By the way, I'm not really, I wasn't campaigning for one. I don't really want one. I'm, I'm good. But, but I'm, just, I'm just saying, comparing myself to other people comes so, so naturally. You know, and I'll think, man, they spend so much money on whatever. But fill in the blank and kind of like, what a good boy am I because I don't do that. I guarantee you could find some things in my budget that is like, yeah, he spends way too much money on that. So we need just to remember that phrase, what is that to you? I'm going to ask uh, Adam and, and uh, the other people, David and Doug, to come back up because we are going to close in a song. But as you think about this, Obviously, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, maybe Peter or uh, maybe John thought, hey, I got I to gotta talk about the restoration of Peter here. But truth is, God wanted this chapter in Scripture, and it has so many different things. God wanted this chapter in Scripture, and God wanted you to hear as we looked at it right now, whether here or, or online and, and you're listening. So I want to encourage you just to say, Lord, what is the, what is the message as we were going through the reading of John, you know, I, I encourage you each day to find something specific. Hey, this is how this is applied to my life. This is how we can live this out. And, I, and I, I like to emphasize, make that as specific as possible. Hey, this is how God would have me to obey, how he would have me to live this verse today. And I want to encourage you with that. Uh, and I'm only, again, the buffet is open. Pick one. Pick one. Is it, is it the idea of an area of obedience in your life? Is it an idea of, you know, let's go back, even talk about the unity. Is it something where I'm comparing myself to other people all the time? Is it that I simply need to remember and grab onto the truth that God knows me better than, he knows my, uh, than I know myself and that he, uh, I'm not surprising him in anything I do and that he has chosen to love me? There's some powerful stuff there. Get one. Say, Lord, would you please help me to hold on to that truth and help me to live that truth uh, throughout this day. Our Father, that is my prayer. My prayer is that uh, there would be an obedience to your word. 
Uh, Lord, I'm standing here just a little amazed this morning. I, I didn't not anticipate as many folks being in the room as are here and so many kids that have listened well and behaved well, and I appreciate that. But, Lord, <laughs> we're not here just to say, hey, we went to church. Um, your word is powerful. And, uh, and I'm asking that you would do a work in our lives, even now, even as we close in, in singing and praising you, and that you would make clear why you brought each one of us here this day, what truth it is that you specifically, through your spirit, want to apply in our lives. I pray that you'd make that abundantly clear. In Jesus' name, I'm asking this. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.